welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending February 23rd, 2024. I'm Kim Hollis, and I'm going to watch Kenny Omega on Twitch every second of the day as soon as he starts streaming. Anytime now. Isn't he like a Street Fighter fanatic or something like that? And just big video game fan. I'm surprised he hasn't already. He is a big video game fan. And you know what's coming out like shortly? Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. That's what he'll be playing. I'm sure he'll oh, do Street okay. Fighter too, but he will be playing Final Fantasy. The One Wing and Angel is a direct reference to stuff. <laughs> of course, yes. So with me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, who will make his good job nerds joke when we get to the box office discussion. Wait for it, nerds. <laughs> Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride and streaming media analyst who somehow needs to find 50 extra hours to throw Sephiroth a beating. Speaking of Sephiroth. I have no free time already. And people are saying that you need at least 60 hours to beat this game. 100 if you want to beat everything in the game. How is that even possible? I see you've never played Animal Crossing before. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who's promising to get some merch out there soon. Yeah. I want my f***ing Zasloff t-shirt. <laughs> Y'all do. <laughs> I'll be heavy on the bleep button this week. <laughs> Well, it was looking like a slow news week until Warner Brothers Discovery dropped their quarterly earnings on Friday. Dropped. I see what you did there. <laughs> on its face, things looked promising as WBD CEO David Zaslav reported that their streaming service Max had just notched a full year of profitability. Roll. why is that BS? As we reported after WBD's last quarterly earnings report, they've merged HBO subscriber numbers with Max subscriber numbers. This is like Disney saying that Disney Plus is profitable because they're counting everyone who buys a ticket to Disneyland. The remarkable part is they managed to get a couple of like analysts to just go completely with it. And like right up the report is, wow, Max has done what none of its competitors have done. And I'm just looking at them like, <laughs> how new are you? Is this your first day on the job? <laughs> So clearly no one's considered the fact that David Zaslav might not be very good at his job, except us. <laughs> Unless, of course, his job is for him to make a lot of money for himself while also tanking a company. Mm, well, that was hardly the worst news as the hits kept coming. WBD's linear services missed advertising sales estimates. And in a move that left Wall Street stunned, the studio opted not to give guidance for the next year. In other words, the year we're in, they're not talking about the rest of fiscal 2024 in fiscal 2024. What do they know? This is terrifying. Yeah, finally, to add insult to injury, while the fate of Coyote versus Acme is still undecided, it was revealed that the studio had taken a $115 million write down based on the cancellation of some unnamed mystery projects. <sighs> Zaslov. We can't ignore the advertising news. Studios continue to finance themselves off the backs of box office, cable TV carriage fees, and ad revenue. And each of those pillars are in decline. That's why there's such a push to get into streaming. But streaming remains a drain on finances for the studios. They're getting to profitability, but they're not quite there yet. Anyone who says that a studio should move to the arms dealer model from Sony, getting out of streaming and selling their content to the highest bidder is missing the reality on the ground. Sony is a studio with a major conglomerate at its back. You know, TVs, PlayStations, that's Sony. 
The real analogy here is A24, a small production shingle that makes a few movies and fewer TV shows every year. Are we seriously suggesting that Warner Bros. Discovery needs to turn into a studio like A24? 2024 is a nightmare scenario for Hollywood, and we're not even going to tell you about the next impending strike. We have stated in the past, we are proponents of licensing some of your content to other places. For example, we will talk in a little bit about This Is Us. That is a Disney-owned product that is currently showing on Netflix because Netflix is cutting Disney a check. That's a good piece of business. We quite like that deal. But what we're talking about with Max isn't just panic fire. It's desperation. They need this money to survive at this point. I mean, we did a podcast a while ago where we named it, you know, something like Warner Brothers Discovery is on the brink. I'm joking now they're somehow even brinkier. You have to realize this stock collapsed so much that it is down to, at the time of this broadcast, $8.60. They have lost two-thirds of their investment since the start of the company in 2022. Two-thirds in two years. This trend cannot continue, and at some point they are going to run out of money, and they're actually no longer even thumping their chests about free cash flow because they're going to need that to survive now. Paramount and Warner Brothers Discovery are in a world of hurt right now, and the water is at their nose. We were months ahead of everyone else because we had last year we we had a weekly segment called the Warner Brothers Discovery Death Watch. <laughs> yeah. But hey, David, NDA rights. Warner Brothers Discovery is going to lock those up, right? <laughs> Roll is joking about something. We had a conversation a week or two ago where there was an inference from the way that Disney was doing Sports Hulu with Warner Brothers Discovery that maybe they knew something. And the suspicion was, and a couple of like really plugged in analysts suggested that Warner Brothers Discovery had already won the bidding rights for this upcoming batch of eight to 10 years of NBA rights, which you can imagine, that is a massive, massive get if it's true. Well, during this earnings call, Warner Brothers Discovery CFO and CEO were going, uh, no, that was news to us. We we, we haven't done that yet. We'd, we'd like to. And so, Raul, because of that, I mean, the reality is if they haven't done it by now, you can't trust them to be their, your long-term partner, can you? That's the thing, right? They said they were still in the running, but they were going to be very prudent in terms of their bid. That is not something necessarily that the NBA wants to hear. They want to hear, oh, we're coming in with truckloads of money. We'll give you everything you want. And Warner Bros. Discovery, frankly, is not in a position right now to make those kinds of bids. Another possible bidder would have been perhaps Paramount, but they are in a very tough financial situation as well. They are right now essentially making their payments on the NFL rights they have, but they certainly don't have enough money to make bids on NBA rights. That leaves in terms of broadcast partners, ABC, and maybe NBC Universal parent company Comcast. And if not for them, then we need to seriously consider that maybe NBA rights are going to be going to streaming. Yeah, I'm actually viewing that as a when, not an if at this point. And that's true even if Warner Brothers Discovery or Disney does emerge with the licensing rights they want. We're at a spot now where everyone really just in the past three weeks has finally given up the ghost on linear. There are decisions being made that indicate the fact everyone has accepted physical media is dead, which is something we've been saying since day one on this podcast. You can look at the data, you can see the trends, and it is clear, and it is not just clear, it is abundantly, transparently clear of what the consumer behaviors are for people under 30 years old, and it is not what we have expected in society for the past several generations. So we're having that once-in-a-while 
shift, and it's a tectonic shift in the way consumers actually consume products. And right now, man, right now, Warner Brothers Discovery, I have no good news. And I have always been pessimistic about Warner Brothers Discovery, but I looked Kim in the eye last night and I told her, this is worse right now today than I ever could have expected it to get. I am no longer certain this company is sustainable. There's been some thought once Sports Hulu was announced, or if you will, Sulu. No, nobody. Stop um, selling us on that. I'm going to do it every time that Warner Bros. Discovery would be bringing NBA rights to this partnership between Disney, Warner Bros. Discovery, and Fox. If they do not have the NBA rights, all that they're bringing to the table is NHL rights, which as a hockey fan, I'd say, oh, hey, that's great. But almost nobody else is going to say that. There is some speculation that maybe this sports Hulu thing was never really going to be a thing. And what's more, the timeline, was it this fall? We're going to have sports Hulu available to subscribers this fall? That just seems utterly unlikely, especially since no one's really talking about the actual technology behind the scenes. Trying to launch a streaming service in a matter of six to nine months just is incredibly unprecedented and highly unlikely. If Warner Bros. Discovery does not get the NBA rights, I think Sports Hulu will never be a reality. But then that leaves us with the question of, are we going to have to be streaming subscribers to watch NBA games? You would think people would be very upset about that, but you have to realize that right now, most NBA rights are on cable already. You have to be a subscriber to something. You just happen to be a cable subscriber to get the NBA games. Switching that over to streaming is not all that unusual, but it also spells another nail in the coffin for linear TV. Just how many more nails are there? How big is this coffin? Linear TV is on its last legs. Advertising is down. Content is leaving. No one wants to pay the carriage fees. It's just looking so bad out there. All right. Hey, Tim, I think there's a box office story this weekend. Um, kind of, I guess you can call it that because how bad are things at the box office? I mean, we, we did have Bob Marley, One Love opened really well last weekend, came in with 28.6 million for the weekend, 46.5 million in five days, which is, which is excellent. Uh, let's not talk about Madam Web, but the number one movie on this Friday, uh, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba to the Hashira training with $5.5 million. So, uh, good job nerds. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure even nerds didn't watch this one. <laughs> In under 2,000 theaters, too. So I have no idea. I've never heard of this one, but there you have it. So yeah, that was your your top movie on Friday. There were apparently two other wide releases, too. Ordinary Angels, 2.3 million in third, and something called Driveaway Dolls, 1 million in fifth. So yeah, it's it's not good. You know, we get some pleasant surprises here and there, but there's there's no way to sugarcoat this anymore, that this is bad for theaters. This is bad for the industry. Yeah, and uh, as a reminder, this is not the first Demon Slayer film we've seen in theaters. During the pandemic in 2020, they went ahead and released one called Mugen Train. It was, I want to say, 500 million worldwide. It was a huge hit worldwide. In America, it made about 50 million. But this is like a viable, proven brand. And even under that criteria, I think, Tim, we're looking at what? 12 million, something like that. This feels a little disappointing, although obviously the lack of theaters didn't help any. Yeah. I mean, and these are generally front loaded as it is. So, yeah, I would 
go with, with 12 million. And yeah, I, I went and looked it up. Yes, the Mugen Train movie saw a theatrical release domestically in spring 2021 and somehow managed almost 50 million, but yeah, 457 million worldwide. So that was that was all the international box office carrying it. So yeah, I mean, these things have, are, are a niche, but they have their audience. Here, let's play the game from last week again. Kim, true or false? We watched Mugen Train. True. Ah, oh, you got this one. Yes, we did. I find it very memorable. But the shocker to me, Tim, I mean, I'm looking at this and I am seeing Madam Web and it's sitting at 31 million. Its opening day gross was 6 million and then it's already under like 1.6 million. This thing is already completely and totally dead, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That was a Friday to Friday decline of 60. 60- Three percent, which actually is only that good because it opened on a Wednesday and not a Friday. But yeah, this this is oh my god, this is awful. This is I mean I know Sony is trying to do what they can with the piece of Marvel that they own, which is you know things related to Spider Man. But this is this is throwing under Morbius, and we thought that was hard to do. Exactly. I mean, we're looking at this and you kind of realize what they're doing with the Spider-Verse animated films is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, like a bona fide, you know, water into wine box office Mm -hmm. miracle compared to the ideas they have for the rest of the Sony Spider-Man universe, which is just debacle after debacle. And I mean, there is a real chance. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here. Tell me if I'm wrong. Sunday is the last day Madam Web earns a million dollars at the box office. Oh, that's absolutely going to be the case. Yeah. They can't get this out of theaters fast enough. Yeah. And remember, guys, there's some analysts out there that say Warner Bros. Discovery needs to get out of streaming and do more like what Sony's doing. And as we hinted out last week, there is more to come in the Sony universe. So, as you know, we still have Craven the Hunter, which was supposed to be out last year, pushed back to this year. Oh, and they still have a third Venom film penciled in for November, too. Folks, I'm just going to say it like this. Well, the Venom film will do well, but Mm -hmm. if you're in charge of marketing for Craven right now, your only hope, just go on TikTok and start doing thirst traps. Just thirst trap, thirst trap, (laughs) thirst trap, because sex is the only thing you can sell here. All right, Tim, now that we've talked about Demon Slayer, let's go ahead and move on to the ratings. Sure, why not? We have the Nielsen Street ratings for Monday, January 22nd to Sunday, January 28th, 2024. And the new show at the top of the usual chart is Griselda. 1.6 billion minutes for six episodes from Netflix, of course. And yeah, I definitely remember that we talked about this. This is the miniseries starring Sofia Vergara in a dramatic role about a drug lord, basically. With that kind of viewership, it's no surprise that Netflix was happy to settle a lawsuit with the real Griselda on which this series was based. I assume the lawsuit had something to do with... No one could possibly look as gorgeous as Sofia Vergara. (laughs) See, thirst traps work. Exactly. Oh, this came out on the 25th, so I think this will be the peak, but it will probably still hang around over a billion minutes for the following week. But that's an excellent start and otherwise a kind of meh week for, for ratings. Reacher from Prime Video in second, 741 million minutes. The second season finale was it was included in last week's ratings, so this is now people just binging the, the full season or catching up, so still an outstanding showing in the second season, and of course there will be more. American Nightmare, we saw that premiere last week, 676 million minutes in third. Fool Me Once in fourth has also been here for a few weeks now, 669 million minutes. New in fifth, Love on the Spectrum US, 574 million minutes for 13 episodes from Netflix. The second season of this arrived on the 19th. Uh, that's the only other new show in the originals chart this week. 
Percy Jackson and the Olympians in six 530 million minutes for seven episodes. There's actually still uh, one more to go. The finale will be on the 30th, so I'm interested to see if that gets a bump for its final episode. Uh, the Brother's Son in seven from Netflix, 410 million minutes for eight episodes. The Crown from Netflix, 270 million minutes for eighth. And Peacock still manages to squeeze in two shows on the originals chart. Ted is at ninth, 267 million minutes for seven episodes. And The Traders, 249 million minutes for 16 episodes, adding one more. And that it will be weekly through the month of February. Look at Peacock, a big boy streaming I'd service. I still call that a win. Yeah, they, <laughs> I, I actually did expect Traders to maybe take take a jump. Maybe we'll see that happen if it as it continues to add episodes. But still managing two shows in the original chart. Yeah, that, that's a win for Peacock. We did forget to mention something last week because there's a Disney Plus show that wasn't here. Uh, and that was Echo. That only lasted for a week on the ratings chart. So it fell off after it premiered. They did release the entire season at once, but it didn't have any staying power beyond that first week. Yeah, they had the same thing with What If as well. They kind of did those unusual binge patterns, which is not what Disney's status quo mm-hmm. is. And it seemed almost experimental. And I think they they gained the information they wanted in that there was immediate interest for each one, but there wasn't sustained interest. I was very interested in what they did with What If, which was they basically released the entire season over a week. A new episode dropped every day during the holiday week, basically, which was a really interesting experiment. But obviously, that's not good for long-term ratings on the Nielsen charts anyway, but I'm sure they got some interesting data from that. Movies is led by The Hill, 736 million minutes from Netflix. This is a biographical sports drama starring Dennis Quaid. That's not a real thing. Yeah, I was trying to see if this got a theatrical release and allegedly did, but somehow managed only 7.6 million before arriving on Netflix during this ratings week. I'm pretty certain we did not mention this one. No, we did not. I mean, it's a 2023 release coming Mm -hmm. out in 2024. So I think that's a lot of it right there. Yeah, we, we tend to not cover the theatrical releases unless they're like the mega hits but yeah that's that's kind of what what, what happened here right uh the legend of tarzan is inexplicably still second 425 million minutes from netflix lift after a couple weeks at the top 423 million minutes the super mario brothers movie this one's going to hang around probably during its entire netflix run 417 million minutes apple tv plus's killers of the flower moon 382 million minutes queen pins we saw Arrived last week, 336 million minutes from Netflix. Uh, but new in seventh, Dumb Money, 300 million minutes from, from Netflix. Give us all a minute while we run to IMDb to look this one up. Oh, we know what this one is. This yeah, is, we this do. is the GameStop fact, one, right? Yeah, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. I own it on Vudu. I've been meaning to watch it since its first day of availability on Vudu. That's actually when I bought it, and I still haven't yet because I'm a horrible procrastinator at anything that's not writing. So uh, <laughs> I'm excited for this one. I've been wanting to watch it for a long time, but I have no information about how good it is. Oh, well, now I want to watch this. Yeah, this one's actually very much in the same vein as a movie that dropped on Hulu last week and we didn't notice either, which was Blackberry, which I think had been playing on AMC Plus previously. So I guess I've got my uh, viewing lined up for the next week. Blackberry was the one that became a miniseries, but my understanding is on Hulu, it's just the movie. Do I have that right? That is my understanding. So it was a movie and then a miniseries, and now it's a movie again. That's needlessly complex. (laughs) Yeah, Dumb Money arrived on Netflix on the 21st after a theatrical release back in September. And yeah, it's Paul Dano and, of course, Mets owner Steve Cohen, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, because, you know, he was one of the rich people who took a, a big bath on people just pumping up that GameStop stock. Oh, that makes me like it so much more. Yeah, exactly. I knew you'd like that part. Also new in eighth from Paramount Plus, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning. They're still calling it part one, at least Nielsen is, even though we know that's not part of the title anymore. But 295 million minutes. 
That's probably about as good as you're going to get on Paramount Plus these days. And that's not the only error that Nielsen made on the charts this week. There's one in the Acquired chart as well. Oh, okay. Uh, after no Disney Plus movies last week, Elemental is back in 9th, 213 million minutes. And movies wraps up with Queen Bees. We saw that show up out of nowhere last week, 205 million minutes. Acquired is, well, I'm going to call it still 10 shows we've seen before, led once again by Bluey, 1.2 billion minutes for 150 episodes from Disney+. Plus. A couple notes on this chart, actually. We talked about This Is Us last week. That showed up last week. This is now correctly credited to Hulu and Netflix, 776 million minutes in fourth. We have the return of Rick and Morty from Max and Hulu, though for some reason, Nielsen calls this one HBO Max, even though all their other shows are still labeled Max. There you uh, go. Six, <laughs> thank you. 617 million minutes uh, for 71 episodes that I just noticed that because I was curious what you were talking about, Raul. Uh, Louder Milk is still hanging on in 10th, 593 million minutes. And for the first time since it left Netflix, uh, here's one more benefit of people subscribing to Peacock to watch a NFL playoff game is a whole bunch of people clearly went, oh, the office is on Peacock. 602 minutes for 228 episodes. There's someone in Peacock's HQ right now popping champagne bottles. Yeah, if you were listening to this podcast in the early days, The Office was at or near the top of this list always. And then it vanished. And the reason why it vanished is because nobody watches Peacock. So we are witnessing that halo effect from the $110 million that NBC, Universal, and Comcast spent to get the one NFL playoff game. And we can track it now. I mean, there is data showing people are trying other things on Peacock they would not have because they're suckers like me and they went ahead and paid $30 for a year. So now that they're pot committed, they might as well at least search around and see what's available. The thing to keep in mind is when you're losing as much money as Comcast is losing on Peacock, what is another $110 million? I mean, that's a ridiculous way to look at it, but at least they've tried something that you could argue has worked. Now, it's a loss leader, but it's a loss leader that has gotten people to actually watch Peacock, which frankly during the course of this podcast has been a functional impossibility. <laughs> and one final note uh, for the first time I can remember as Bluey has just taken over the acquired chart, Coca Melon is not in the top 10 acquired shows. I have been seeing some analysis about the, how Bluey has taken over the Coco Melon crown. It really is crushing it. Yeah, the, the rise of Bluey over the last two years is, is also very validating for David, because that's what always he was saying once we got <laughs> Disney Plus ratings, is where the hell is Bluey and where where is The Simpsons? I mean, it was just obvious there was a data flaw with whatever they were doing. They were just missing mm -hmm. it, and now they're not anymore. And now that they're not missing it, I mean, you know, you could see. This is actually down 250 million minutes from last week, so right. it's lost, you know, 16%. Because the new episodes, I presume, have stopped airing or at least aren't as fresh or whatever. I don't actually know how the release pattern works on Bluey, if I'm honest with you. But I will say this. You would never see Candice LeRae wearing <laughs> Coco Melon-based gear, would you, Tim? <laughs> Nor Johnny Gargano. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of Bluey's success is that it also appeals to adults, whereas Coco Melon really, really doesn't. It, yeah, there is an age difference between the shows. But yeah, just watching... The dominance that has become Bluey is impressive. Yeah, it's weird when the acquired chart might arguably be the most interesting thing this week. But yeah, there you have it. Not an exciting week. But yeah, that's a big debut for Griselda. And that's about it. 
All right. Thank you, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, HBO's season four of True Detective wrapped up this week, and the studio was happy enough with the ratings to renew it for a fifth season. Folks, let's put this in terms you can understand. This is like walking to school 10 miles in the snow, uphill both ways. To get an HBO renewal, much less a renewal for season five of something at this moment in time, True Detective is basically Titanic in terms of success to accomplish that um titanic in a good way i mean you know warner brothers discovery is titanic in a bad way this is titanic in a good way i really like this season even if the finale was a little mm, uninspired one person who wasn't happy was the original creator of the franchise nick pizzolato who had no involvement in this season but still gets an executive producer credit so he's still getting paid pizzolato was critical of the season from showrunner Isa Lopez, but HBO has made their choice as Isa Lopez will be the showrunner for season five. Yeah, his not happiness with it smacks of, well, something anyways. I mean, it's basically like men without hats realizing that their opening act is now not a one-hit wonder. He's done one thing, one thing only that matters. So, you know, you can understand he'd be territorial about it and you can understand he'd be jealous of the success of somebody else. Because let's remember, the same people specifically chose not to bring him back for season four. And now they're saying season four was good enough for season five. That's double rejection. Over at Apple TV Plus, Foundation, based on the Isaac Asimov series, will be getting a third season, but its budget is getting a shave. However, Troy Kotzer, who won an Academy Award for CODA, will be joining the cast. Science fiction fans have been wanting a Foundation series forever, and Apple delivered on that, but it just never really got the kind of buzz I think everyone wanted. The fact that Apple's sticking with it through season three is credit to them so science fiction fans are i'm sure are very happy even if the series is getting a little bit of a budget cut apple and cost cutting aren't two terms i've heard together since like 1992 so i'm a little confused by this but hey we love troy kotzer so that's great news i still haven't watched foundation i just finished for all mankind and i was kind of eyeballing it like maybe it's time to start i'm a little worried now i'm gonna have to figure out whether or not season two ended with like a cliffhanger or anything because if it did if you're switching showrunners that's a problem Stop me if you've heard this one, as Netflix has renewed the Money Heist sequel, Berlin, for a second season. You know it's going to go six seasons, right? <laughs> what Netflix is basically showing is there is a lot of crime. I mean, there is money heisted everywhere, every day. <laughs> Netflix has also greenlit a documentary on the Montreal Expos and their controversial 2004 exit from Canada. So I'm yeah. going to point and laugh. Tell that story. Tell everybody how <laughs> terrible everyone was. Hey, Mets fan, you agree with the Braves fan that we don't miss them at all, right? Exactly. <laughs> Netflix has a franchise on its hands as they're developing a prequel to Virgin River focusing on Mel's parents. I don't even know if Mel is a guy or a girl. <laughs> nope. You know, for a quiet, small town, there is a lot of drama in this place. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But it's not all good news at Netflix as they've scrapped work on a series of films based on Rick Reardon's King Chronicles. Yeah, this is actually an interesting story in that what has happened is Netflix had said they were going to do a kind of a spinoff on Percy Jackson. And they had every intention of doing it until they found out that Disney was doing their thing, which has proven quite successful. So Netflix let the rights lapse. And in letting the rights lapse, they accrued expenses. And now what they're doing is 
is frankly kind of petty, but it's also good business sense. They're saying that anybody who picks it up at this point will have to pay them for the expenditures they've made, which means this is not going to get picked up by Disney or anybody else because Netflix has made it cost prohibitive. Riordan actually has a really good attitude about it. He points out how this happens a lot. It's not that big a deal, but I'm just looking at it and I'm going, Netflix thought they could make Percy Jackson a hit. They watched Disney do it and now they're petty and bitter. It's not good news at Paramount Plus either, as they've greenlit a second season of Frasier. Oh, no. Why did we meet their demands? <laughs> <laughs> All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And David and I finally watched Oppenheimer. That is I not a movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was not a movie for me. That's pretty much what I'll say. It was noisy as I expected it to be, actually. The female characters were incredibly underwritten. I hated the score. It was very long. And as much as I thought I would be uncomfortable with the subject matter, I was. So, yeah, everything I expected it to be, it was pretty much exactly that. Folks, I am never going to hear the end of this. That is the reality of my life now. I wanted to watch this. I finally persuaded her to do it. And the surprise here is we did it all in one setting. Now, <laughs> she was playing Octopath Traveler 2 I was. literally yes. from start to finish. I but did. We did, uh, we did actually go three hours uninterrupted. And I have to say, that third act was so pointless, wasn't it, Kim? I mean, it was just ridiculous how drawn out that was for something that you could have tied together in four minutes, like, you know, at the end of Usual Suspects, there was no need for it. And she's right. Every time they wanted to show how bad the situation was, they just beat us to death with the score, which frankly, Philip Glass would have said, no, that's too much. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was extraordinarily well acted. It had so many people we love. I am not saying it's a bad movie because it's not. That would be objectively a lie. There was a lot to like in this film, but I wish I had liked it so much more than I did. It's like, for me, like a B minus. What's your grade, Kim? probably a C plus. Like you said, there's good in it, good performances from Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr., among others. But just overall, I'm. it was just not a movie for me. The reality is, if you ever see that available to watch on anything, you will turn the channel so quickly, won't you? Oh, yeah. It's not like that's something I'm going to say, oh, yeah, this is something I'm going to watch. Let's move on to something good. Raul, what's been keeping you busy? So I wish I could say I was watching other things on streaming this week, but the Scotty's Tournament of Hearts, which is the National Women's Curling Championships in Canada, was this week week and I pretty much spent every waking hour watching that. There was three rounds of pool play a day. We were looking at something in the vicinity of nine hours of streaming every day. And yes, I spent all that time watching. It was great. I enjoyed every minute of it. The finals are on right now. In fact, they're on the TV in front of me as we speak. I very much enjoy curling and this was very entertaining. So that is where I spent most of my time this week. It was on YouTube. The Canadian sports cable service TSN was streaming it all on their YouTube channel. So that is where I watched it. If there is like a dating app for curling fans, that's where Raul will find his <laughs> next date. <laughs> okay, Tim, what's been keeping you busy? 
Uh, well, still working my way through Octopath Traveler 2, of course. I'll talk more about that as I complete it. But I also feel like I just need to occasionally mention things to watch on Peacock, mostly because, you know, you've probably paid for a Peacock subscription. And also, I feel like it annoys David. So, of course, one of my favorite shows from the last 10, 15 years, the entire series of Psych is available on there. I think I talked about it before when they put out the third movie. They've done three of those. The first one was on USA. The second and third were exclusive to Peacock. They are planning a fourth as long as everyone's interested and, you know, James Orday Rodriguez and Steve Franks, of course, are. I watched some episodes I, I hadn't seen before. I just always forget how like entertaining and, and funny this, this show is. So yes, if you have Peacock, you can watch Psych. We actually get Psych highlights recommended on YouTube sometimes. And there was a Wade Boggs one on the other day that Kim and I had never seen before. And we were just in stitches the whole time. It is such a charming, harmless show. More people should still be watching Psych. Oh, and also a big shout out to the Borderlands trailer because that was very satisfying. Somehow, yes, Kate Blanchard as Lilith and Kevin Hart as Roland just feels like absolutely perfect casting. Jack Black as Claptrap, I'll get used to it. But they found a real life Tiny Tina. I didn't think that was going to be possible. They absolutely did. You can actually watch the guy who is in charge of Borderlands on IGN. He's done a 15 minute like Easter eggs and explanations video. And one of the things he says, when she says it's in my mouth in the trailer, that is the funniest joke in the trailer. That is ad-libbed. So yes, <laughs> she is the incarnation of Tiny Tina. It's amazing. Yeah, she also I, did the handspring in one take. Oh, wow. Yeah, I am so excited for this movie late, later this year. It's amazing what happens when you make a movie about a video game and the people who make it apparently played the game. David, other than Oppenheimer, what's been keeping you busy? Again, I'm sorry, but I also went ahead and tore through For All Mankind. I had it on the back, uh, on in the background while I was working all week, and so I am completely caught up to date with season four. And I really only want to mention that because at the end of season four, the people on Mars steal an asteroid. That is not like a made-up thing I'm saying. Ronald E. Moore with his passionate love of outer space science figures out a way where you can redirect the path of an asteroid to force it into orbit around either Earth or Mars, and it's a race to see which group can actually capture an entire asteroid and then mine it for iridium. That is like the plot. So money heist, I don't care what you've done. You've never stolen an asteroid. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Streaming Void. Be sure to watch for us again next week. 